Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. So because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sin, because the blood of Jesus has cleansed our conscience, now there's going to be a lifestyle change. There's going to be a transformation. There's going to be a different person that begins to emerge. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews chapter 9 in a message titled, The Blood of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So we stop right there. But the the thought goes on. And where the thought is ultimately heading is to that place of telling us we have open access now to the Holy of Holies. And we can come boldly through that veil. And it's all because of the once and for all offering that Jesus made of himself. So that's a little preview of where we're headed next time. But what I want to zero in on today are these references to the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ. So he's talking about the blood of the animals, but then he contrasts with the blood of the animals. He says, but Christ, he offered his own blood. Now, let me say, first of all, for some people, This whole idea of a blood sacrifice, like a human sacrifice, or going back further, the whole idea that God would require animal sacrifices at a certain point, and then to even suggest that, you know, Christ shed his blood, and that's how forgiveness takes place, and that's how the cleansing of sin comes about. You know, some people are just absolutely appalled by that suggestion. They think that, that it's just so barbaric, it's just so superstitious, it's, it's just you know, rife with all of you know, the mythological weirdness that you could conjure up, they, they think. Um, and even we, maybe, and certainly probably at a certain time, but maybe even now to some extent, we question ourselves like, okay, what the connection between blood and cleansing, how does that happen? Because in... Most of the places where we're having references to the blood of Christ, like we have here, the context is talking about the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And of course, we even sing hymns and songs that we have written as the church that are reminding us of those things. What can wash away my sins? We sing. We respond, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
And then, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. We sing that, but sometimes do we even have the slightest idea what, what that's all about? Now, interestingly enough, it's not quite as strange as you might think it is. Because if you know anything about the blood that's flowing through your veins right this second, you will know this, that that blood is cleansing you. That blood that's flowing in your veins is taking from your body the, the toxins, and it's taking the waste, and it's discharging that to keep you and me alive. That, that's happening in our bodies right now. So when the Bible speaks of the blood of Jesus cleansing us, there is an analogy, there's something similar to it that's going on right within the body of every creature that has a circulatory system. And, you know, it's, it's amazing, really, when you stand back and you look at creation, you see that in creation itself, in the, in the world, the created order, God's placed within the whole created order, he's placed all of these hints about himself, about his reality, about his presence, about his power. And oftentimes, through these natural things, he's given us little pictures of how spiritual truths work. And I think this is certainly one of them. Many years ago, uh, there was a book written called The Chemistry of the Blood. And it tells us about the function of the blood in the physical body. But then he makes the connection between what's happening in our physical bodies with the references to the blood of Christ. So let me just read you two short paragraphs. One, uh, first of all, dealing with the red blood cells, and then secondly, with the white. And you'll notice immediately the, the connection here with what the scriptures are saying. And so regarding the red cells, he said, the red cells are minute disc-shaped cells containing a mysterious substance called hemoglobin, an iron compound which has an affinity for oxygen, a fuel of the body. These red cells traveling through the lungs come into contact with the oxygen in the air we breathe and unite loosely with it to form oxyhemoglobin. In that form, they travel to all the cells and there discharge their cargo to the cell, thus providing it with its vital oxygen for combustion and heat. Now listen, then the blood picks up the waste products of the tissues, the carbon dioxide and the waste of tissue metabolism, which we may call the cell garbage, and discharges it through the kidneys, the skin, the bowels, and the lungs. And so your red blood cells that are working in your body right this moment, they're working to cleanse us of these waste and, and toxins and different things. But then we have a different but a similar sort of a thing with the white cells. The white cells, here's what happens with our white cells. When an infection occurs anywhere in the body and the body is attacked by an enemy army of germs, the news is flashed back to the camp where the white cells are manufactured and immediately the organ turns out a greatly increased number of these white cells and rushes them to the point of infection. We might call this conscription of the white army in time of emergency. The number of white cells has doubled and then tripled 
for the white cells are the soldiers of the body. They have the strange power to kill germs and engulf them. Then other white cells come in and clean up the battlefield and build new tissues until all is healed and nothing but a scar remains. So built into our very bodies and the physiological processes, you have illustrations of how the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And of course, it was the blood of Jesus that came first. So these things are little uh, paintings, little portraits of, of what came first. Jesus, the Bible says that he was foreordained before the foundation of the earth to die on the cross, to shed his blood. So this is the plan of God that he's going to create the world. He realizes that people are going to rebel from him. He's going to redeem them to himself, and he's going to do so through the blood of his son. And that's all settled before the earth is ever even created. But as he creates everything, he builds into all of creation, these little evidences and these things that point to these great spiritual truths. And so the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Here we have references to the blood of Christ, but of course this isn't the only place. Many places in the New Testament speak of the blood of Christ, and there are three that I want to draw to your attention, and this will be our, our focus now, looking at these three things. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we read this about the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us, and the idea is continues to cleanse us from all sin. So this is what the blood of Jesus does for us. Just like your blood is cleansing your body from what we might call sin, poisonous things, uh, germs, and uh, you know, bacteria, different, different harmful things. So the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, when we receive Christ, that's what happens. His blood cleanses us from sin. You see, sin has a destructive effect upon us. Sin has a contaminating effect, a, a polluting effect. And it's through the blood of Jesus that this pollution and this contamination and the, the sickness that's there within us, it's cleansed, it's washed through the blood of Jesus. And so when we come to Christ, and we receive him, I, sometimes you even have that very sensation of a cleansing. I've talked to people that have described their experience in receiving the Lord as, you know, I just felt, I felt clean. For the first time, I felt clean. I felt, I just felt washed. I, I just felt a purity. Well, you're onto something there because that's what's happening. The blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us from sin and from the moral and the spiritual effects of sin. So that happens as we apply the blood. We apply the blood by receiving the Savior. But verse 14 of chapter 9 says something about the blood of Christ, but it's something a little bit different than this, although there's a connection. But look what it says here. It says concerning 
the blood of Christ, who offered himself through the eternal spirit without spot to God, that this blood cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is really interesting. So cleansing us from sin is is different than this. We're talking about two different things, but there is some overlap here. So the cleansing from sin is is literally like that, that washing us clean from the pollution, the contamination of sin. And we sense that, we feel that. Even in our minds, we find that maybe our minds were just so corrupted and so filled with sinful things. And you just feel like, man, my mind's just being washed. But here's a different thing. He says, the blood of Christ cleanses your conscience from dead works. What is that about? Well, here's the reality for every single person, religious or non-religious. It doesn't matter. Every person lives with a problem in their conscience. Now, granted, some people, their conscience seems to be dead, The Bible makes reference to people whose conscience have been seared with a hot iron, meaning that they no longer have any feeling like they should have, or like they should. No, they no longer feel guilt. They no longer feel remorse. They no longer feel sorry for anything. Psychologically, they're called sociopaths. But I don't think that anybody in the world ever goes to a place where their conscience is completely hardened to the point where there's no longer anything happening there because everybody goes about life in some way or another trying to justify themselves. Even if they don't believe in a God, they're trying to justify themselves in their conscience, in their mind. They're trying to prove something in their own minds even that will liberate them from their guilt feelings or make them feel better about themselves. And and this is the truth across the board. And and like I said, you could be a stone-cold atheist, but you still have this reality at work in your life. And that's why you jump onto different causes. That's why we're going to save the planet, because I got to save something. I got to do something. I've got to do something to offset the guilty conscience that I live with. So if I go out and try to save the planet, well, I feel a little bit better about myself. Yeah, I might be this and that and the other thing, and I might do this stuff, but you know what? I'm you know, driving a hybrid car, and I'm not contributing to the pollution problem, so I feel better about myself. Or any, any number of things. I'm out in front of a store with a clipboard and I want you to sign up for Greenpeace because we're going to save the whales and we're going to do all of this. And well, at the end, why am I doing this? Do, do I really care about the whales? Well, you know, maybe. I, I've asked the guy, have you ever met a whale? Have you ever had any kind of like, you know, what, how, what is this passion for the whales? And I'm not denying that people might have a great fondness for whales, but I think there's something even deeper than that. And it's like, you know, this makes me deep down, it makes me feel a little bit better about the issues that I'm feeling guilty over, that I know I shouldn't even be guilty. Why am I guilty? There's not even a God. How could I feel guilty? But I do. You see, you can't escape it. Nobody can escape it. That's the reality of the conscience. And here's what happens When we come to Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience. It's only through the forgiveness that 
God offers us through Jesus that we really are forgiven and then our conscience is free. So rather than spending my life engaging in what he calls here dead works, we would call them good works. And, you know, maybe it's not just the planet. Maybe it's not the nature and the animals, but maybe it's more like, no, I really care about people and I'm going to help people and I'm going to be philanthropic and I'm going to go out and work hard and I'm going to give and try to help the poor and all of that. And, and of course, all of that's good to do. But if you're doing it to try to alleviate the guilt, to wash away your sin or whatever else you're feeling is you know, making you uncomfortable, then those are what he's referring to here when he says dead works. They're dead works because they can't achieve anything of eternal value or they have no ability to commend us to God. So the blood of Jesus cleanses us from that. And, and of course, he's speaking to Jews here, and they, their whole mentality was one of works. But he's saying to them, if you go back to the temple, if you go back to the sacrifices, if you go back to that, it, it's all just dead works. It doesn't do anything. It's only when the blood of Jesus cleanses us that our conscience is clean as well. And I realize, wow, I am no longer condemned. I am no longer responsible to bear the brunt and the punishment for my sins. God's taken that off me. And so I'm freed up from this burden. Now, of course, we all know that even as Christians who technically have had our consciences cleansed, we know that we can oftentimes live with guilt. We live with the guilt from the past sometimes still. We make mistakes and we sin today and we live with the guilt of that. But if, if I'm living with the guilt, I'm just taking on board something that doesn't need to be there because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, has cleansed me from those things. But that's what's being described here. The blood of Christ cleansing our conscience from dead works. So I'm no longer driven by that conscience, that internal drive to, to get some approval, some acceptance. And again, even for the person who doesn't believe in God, they're looking for that approval, that acceptance all, all around them, maybe from a certain people group or whatever the case might be. So we're describing here the, the cleansing effects of the blood of Christ on us internally, dealing with the issues of sin in the heart and the effects of those sins on the conscience. But then there's one more place that we go to with this. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter gives us another reference to the precious blood of Christ that has redeemed us from our vain manner of life. Redeemed us from our vain manner of life. And you see, here's what happens. The blood of Christ is applied to us first in, a, in an internal sense. It's a, it's a change of heart. It's a cleansing of my heart. It's a cleansing of my mind. But then, of course, the objective from God's standpoint is that this will work itself out into your behavior, into my behavior. And Peter describes that as being redeemed from our vain manner of life. So because the blood of Jesus 
has cleansed us from our sin, because the blood of Jesus has cleansed our conscience, now there's going to be a lifestyle change. There's going to be a transformation. There's going to be a different person that begins to emerge. No longer am I going to be the selfish person that I have been for so long. No longer am I going to be the greedy person that I've been for so long. No longer am I going to be the hateful person that I've been for so long. You see, these kinds of things in the heart, they, of course, all work themselves out into behaviors. So as the heart changes, the behaviors change. And so I start being gracious to people, and I start being loving, and I start thinking about other people. And I, uh, I'm not just concerned about myself all the time. I, I start having concern for others. I start living for God and not for myself. You see, this is the, the end result of the work of the blood of Christ upon us. It changes our lifestyle. It makes us holy. That's what the Lord is aiming for. His own special people. He's redeemed us as his own special people who would be zealous for good works, zealous uh, to live out the kind of life that he has laid out for us and described for us in his word. So the beautiful thing is that all of this happens through the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so here a couple of times he reminds us of the fact that he's obtained eternal redemption through uh, the shedding of his blood. He speaks here of the promise of the eternal inheritance. And so Christ has done the work and we reap the benefits of it. That's That's the gospel. Jesus did the work. We get the blessing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it through his blood, white as snow. And so we just, we rejoice in that. And we let that sink in. And we realize that the the blood of Christ is cleansing us from sin. We realize that the, the condemning thoughts and the guilt and all of that, if we've received Christ, that that really has no place any longer. And I don't get caught up in these working schemes to try to somehow gain God's favor but my conscience is at rest. And I know that God loves me and he's forgiven me and there's, there's grace there. And now, uh, instead of engaging in all these dead works, I can just move forward to serve the living God as his spirit leads. And he's working from the inside out and changing our lives. So our lifestyles are more and more as time goes on looking like the picture that we have in scripture of his life. And so thank God for that. He's done it. It's his work. And we have received the benefit and the blessing of it. Those that have received Christ. And if you haven't received Christ today, those guilt feelings and all of that that are there, they're real. They're there for a reason. I know that certain people would say, oh no, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. Well, Actually, we feel guilty because we are guilty. And the way to freedom is not a denial, 
of the truth of our sinfulness. The weight of freedom is an acknowledgement and then a receiving of God's solution, which is the forgiveness and the cleansing that comes through the blood of Christ. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.